Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hey, welcome to Israel and You. It's great to be with you today, and we're talking about the high holy days of uh, the Jewish people. And we've talked about the Feast of Trumpets. Last time together, we talked about Yom Kippur. We're going to talk about Yom Kippur again today, even though we just came through that holiday, October 4 and 5. And then next time together, we're going to talk about the Feast of Tabernacles, which is October 9 through 16, 2022. And so I want to share a little more about Yom Kippur, the Feast of of atonement, the day of atonement uh, that we've just come through. And I want to liken this this feast uh, to marriage for a moment and let you know that I've been married for many, many years. And I believe in marriage. I have a marriage license. And uh, after we were married, we went on a honeymoon. We have four children, grandchildren. And so is my belief in marriage the key to my happiness in the marriage? And so I believe my wife Sharon is the best person in my life. She's the love of my life. She's the mother of my children. Uh, We walk down the sidewalk together. My my dream has always been when I'm I'm 95, I'm going to be walking down the sidewalk with my wife holding her hand. Uh, She's faithful to me. I'm faithful to her. We're devoted one to the other. She's my best friend, and I hope and believe I'm her best friend. She loves me, and uh, I believe in the covenant. Uh, Not long ago, I have this little cassette tape of our covenants at our marriage, and my kids were were playing the tape on an old uh, cassette player, and of course, the the tape is a little warped, and my voice just was so high-pitched because the tape is really ruined, and I was talking in this high-pitched voice, you know, making my marriage vows to Sharon. But I, but I believe in the covenant that I made. And, and um, Ruth 1.16, when I asked her to marry me, I, I put in the inscription of Ruth 1.16 on the back of a locket that I gave to Sharon the night I asked her to be my wife. And, of course, Ruth 1.16 says, Whither thou goest, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. So did these beliefs uh, in marriage, does it make my marriage a fulfilled marriage? Is my belief the key to happiness in my soul? And the answer is no, because I can believe all these things about marriage, but it doesn't bring me any fulfillment. And it actually doesn't bring any happiness into my marriage. I can believe in the covenant of marriage all day long. And belief in marriage will get people down the aisle, but it doesn't keep them in relationship. And for those who remain married, there's a lot of married people that are not happy. And I used to say when I was a pastor that there's a lot of, there's actually more people that are married that don't want to be married that are than single people that want to be married. So there's a lot of married people that are just not happy. So what will bring happiness 
into a marriage. It's not just believing in the marriage covenant. It's keeping the marriage covenant. Let me say that again. What brings happiness into a marriage is not just believing in the principle of marriage and believing in the marriage covenant. It's keeping the marriage covenant. It's to love and to cherish, to honor and respect. It's to lay down the life for the other person. It's to nurture and protect. And my responsibility to pray for my wife, to speak tenderly to her, to cherish her as a priceless vessel. You see, I can say I believe in the covenant of marriage all day long, but if I really want to know if... um, I believe in this covenant. And if you want to know, hey, does this guy says he believes in marriage? Does he re- really believe it? I'll tell you what you do. Look at my wife. And if she's joyful and she's peaceful and there's a countenance on her face of, of protection and peace, well, then you know that my beliefs have been put into practice because I'm praying for her, I'm protecting her, I'm speaking tenderly to her. And I always used to say when I was a pastor, if you want to know if a man is treating his wife with kindness and peaceability, look at her countenance. And if she looks sad, if she looks downtrodden, it's more than likely he he may believe in marriage, but he's not keeping the vows he spoke at the altar. And so by keeping and doing the covenant I verbally made uh, with my wife on my wedding day, uh, that's what brings joy into my marriage. So I've never stopped believing in marriage. But you know what? The first 10 years of our marriage and true confession is that I we, we had a rocky first 10 years. Why? Because I was a verbal abuser, and I was always demeaning my wife. There was not a look of joy and peace uh, on her face because I was uh, dissing her. I was demeaning her, and I had a mean spirit. I had a spirit of anger that I'd never dealt with growing up in childhood, and I had baggage in my life, and so I was unhappy. I believed in marriage. But uh, both of our souls were being ripped apart. We were not becoming one. And, of course, the goal of marriage is a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I'll give you a little hint uh, what the rabbis say about that passage in Genesis. A man shall leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife. Why is it the husband cleaves to the wife? Why isn't it the other way around that the wife cleaves the husband because the rabbis teach that of the two the wife is the stronger of the two and that's true i think of 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 most relationships the the woman there's a god-given quality there's a strength within the woman and so i for all these years i've cleaved into my wife uh, because she's the stronger of the two in the relationship and so those first two years we were not becoming one flesh and again, remember the day of atonement, you can say it this way, at one So those first 10 years of marriage, I was not at one uh, with my wife because I believed in marriage, but I was not keeping the covenant to love and cherish and honor and respect her. So for the Christian, the covenant of marriage is an earthly picture of a heavenly reality and the picture of Christ's relationship with the church. He's the bridegroom. The church is the bride. It's a metaphor. And so in Ephesians 5, 
Paul says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so a husband is to imitate Christ, the way Christ loves the church. How did he love? He gave his life up for her. And so the husband is to imitate that. He's to be a husband like Jesus is a husband to the church. And so what's going to bring happiness to my soul in my relationship with God, is it belief only? No. And it's the same in marriage. This this metaphor of my relationship with Christ, marriage is that metaphor. And believing in marriage is not going to bring my my soul happiness. It's by fulfilling my vows in that marriage covenant. And so is my relationship with God, is it belief that's going to bring me joy and happiness and wholeness in my soul? You know, the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. That's the Apostles' Creed. So if it's belief only in Jesus and in belief in him as God's son, does that bring a person happiness? And the answer is no. Because, listen, I was a pastor for many, many years, and there were so many people that believed. They believed in Jesus. They believed that he was God's only son. But their homes were, were broken. They were broken on the inside. Their relationships were constantly in uh, you know, being terrorized by one person or the other or they themselves. And so many Christians, I found, were not joyful. They, they didn't have happiness within their souls. And you know, if you read the epistles, uh, all through the epistles, so many of the epistles, they talk so much about broken relationships and the importance of being in right relationship with uh, a loved one or a friend. And so many Christians today are are drinking alcohol or an antidepressants trying to solve the issues in their soul and trying to bring <clears throat> some kind of peaceability in their soul. And Jesus said, I've come that your joy might be full. And so there's something that is drastically missing in our souls. And just like in marriage, the problem is not a belief in the covenant of marriage. The problem is not becoming one, not being at one with my my life partner, the one I've married to. And could it be the same with God, that he's wanting us to take on his character and become like him, this this imitation of God that's so uh, real all through the, the scriptures in the Bible, that we are to take on the character of God and uh walk like he walked and, and and forgive others like he forgives us and you know god says be holy because i'm holy it's it's imitating his character so to be at one meant with god on this day of atonement at one meant we have all these beliefs but there's often an empty gnawing within our souls because we're not obeying and walking in the commandments of God. <clears throat> and the gospel was written from a Jewish perspective. And in the culture of the day, it, it, when the New Testament was written, there was a large influence of Hellenistic culture upon the world, Plato and Aristotle. And our world today still largely is under a Hellenistic form of thinking and believing. And uh, belief uh, in, in the idea of the Greek thinkers was scientific and rational. 
And so that's what Greek thinkers thought, that, that a belief is something that's rational in the mind. It's scientific. But in Jewish thought, belief was not something that was rational. In the pages of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, truth and belief is not something that's scientific and rational. In the Jewish mind, Belief was something that was relational and spiritual and experiential. And the Hebrews believed that truth is not something that they understand, but something they experienced. And in our Western minds, faith is intellectual. The creeds and the doctrines that we have proof texts, you know, and we, we preach sermons on 10 ways to have more faith, 12 steps to more success, 10 ways to overcome depression. It's a lot of what we're preaching today is scientific. It's psychological. But in the scriptures, faith is not so much intellectual as it is personal and relational. It's not a rationalization. It's about a relationship with God. And if you ask a person that's influenced by this Hellenistic Greek thinking to define God, they will focus on the being of God. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. Uh, but how did Jesus the Hebrew define God? You know what he said? Abba. That's how we define God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And by the way, that prayer was a Jewish prayer. Uh, that Jesus would have prayed as a young Jewish boy from the earliest moments of his life. He, he would learn the Amidah, the 18, the Jewish prayer that began with our Father, which art in heaven. It's Abba. So the way the Jewish people historically and even through today they understand God is a Father, is an Abba. And my earliest remembrance of my own earthly father is I was in my father's lap in a rocking chair and the fire was blazing <clears throat> there was a clock on top of the mantle and I was three and a half years old sitting in my father's lap that's my earliest memory of being with my dad and uh, I was so close to him I felt so secure my pajamas sitting in my father's lap and a few days later my dad was killed by a drunk driver and what happened as I grew up, that God became my father. The Bible says he's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. So I've always known God relationally and spiritually and experientially as my father, as my papa, as my Abba God. And we'll come back to this concept of God after the break. We'll see you on the other side. Hello, I'm Aaron Free, and I'm honored to serve as president of Israel Team Advocates International. Israel Team is a unique nonprofit organization that is changing the growing narrative within the Christian world that the Jewish people are illegally occupying the land of Israel. The truth is that God, the God of the Bible, identifies himself as the God of Israel, and Jerusalem is his footstool. God has given this land to the Jewish people as an eternal possession. Within the evangelical communities, millennial generation and Generation Z, there is an alarming decline of support for Israel. Presently, about 70% of young evangelicals are unsure of Israel's right of their very existence. If this trend continues, we are going to see a majority anti-Israel evangelical movement within 10 years. Imagine future Christian leaders in America calling for the removal of Jews from the Holy Land. Israel team 
Dean cares deeply about the future of American Christianity and is investing in the young Christian leaders of tomorrow. We work on Christian college campuses and church youth and college groups to make a difference for Israel and the church as well. We mentor pastors and church leaders and counteract the growing trend of replacement theology being proclaimed from churches across America. I'm asking you today to help us in this noble cause. We can change the current trend of anti-Israelism, one church and one college campus at a time. You can go to our website at israelteam.org to donate today and stand with us today. We ask you that you consider giving to Israel Team on a monthly basis. In the present exponential rise of anti-Semitism in America, our efforts must double to push back against this darkness. For your gift this month to Israel Team, we want to send you our new book, The Casualty of Contempt, The Alarming Rise of Anti-Semitism, and What Can Be Done to Stop It. Go to israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. This is Israel in You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back. And we're talking about the Jewish idea of God. It's not scientific. It's relational. It's experiential. And so uh, through the scriptures, God is seen as a Papa, Abba, Abba Father. But in the Greek Western mind, the individual is the most important. Humanism, self-actualization, the body, the mind, all of our magazines today, life, people, us. And I always said they're going to come out with a new one, and they did, self. One day I think they'll come out with a magazine entitled Me. And so the Greeks focused on the individual. The Hebrews focused on the community. And salvation in the Greek mind, which is really penetrated into Christianity, salvation is very individualistic, and I would say almost like Gnosticism. Uh, But in the Hebrew uh, mindset, salvation was communal. Remember the Philippian jailer. Paul said to him, you shall be saved and your household. And remember in Jericho, in the Old Testament, uh, when, when Joshua went in to uh, defeat Jericho, there was a man named Achan, and he hid some of the uh, treasures in his tent. And as a result, the entire community paid for that one man's sin. And so uh, the scriptures talk about don't cause your brother to fall. Uh, Jesus said if you bring your gift to the altar and you, you have aught with your brother, go first and reconcile with your brother and then come to the altar. So salvation and forgiveness in a Hebrew concept was really communal, based on uh, community. And so it's not this individualistic relationship I have with God. I've got to be in right relationship with others so that I might have right relationship with God. And in Hebrew, there's no word for heresy. Heresy is wrong thinking intellectually off-center from sound beliefs in the, the Greek mindset. But in Hebrew, the word heresy is not just a uh, intellectually moving away from center on sound beliefs, scientifically, intellectually. In Hebrew, the word heresy is disobedience. It's what you're doing is wrong. And it's not just something you think. It's something that you're doing. That's heresy. When, I, when, there's, when I'm not doing the right thing. So for the Greeks, eternal life is something detached from this life. 
after life is over. For the Hebrew, eternal life begins in this life. For the Hebrew, eternal life is a life of harmony with God. Life is being at one with God. And to not be at one with God is to be out of harmony with God's life. And to be out of harmony with your neighbor is to break relationship with God. And so that's why in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the New Testament as well, it focuses not so much on just your individual relationship with God. It focuses on your relationship with others. Remember the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus with an astonishing question. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? And remember, life to the Hebrew was a life of harmony with God. And Jesus said, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. It, it's, it, to be in harmony means I have to keep something. I've got to keep the commandments. And the young man said, I, I, I've done all this since I was a youth. So Jesus said, well, there's one thing you lack. And he knew that the young man was bound and, and probably bound to greed and wealth. And he said, sell all you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And the young man went away sad because he had great wealth. And so why did he go away sad? Because he was not in right alignment. And so when I get in right alignment with God, I become happy. I become joyful. And so this man was sad. Did he believe? Yes, he believed. Was he in harmony with God? No. And so again, with the metaphor of marriage, I can believe all day in the principle of marriage. I can believe in the covenant that I made with Sharon, my wife. But if I'm not walking in right relationship with her, if I'm not speaking words of tenderness over her, if I'm not supporting her, if I'm not loving her like uh, Christ loves the church, then I'm not going to be in right relationship with her and my marriage is not going to be complete. There's not going to be a wholeness. There's not going to be joy. First John chapter 3, verse 24 says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. So you see, I can say I love my wife all day. <clears throat> Intellectually, um, scientifically, in my mind, I can say these things. But if I really do love her, I will do the things that please her. I will remain faithful. I will be considerate. I will be kind. And we can intellectually say the same thing. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus all day long. But we may never enter into joyful harmony with God unless we start doing his commandments. And Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? He didn't say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not believe in me? He's saying, you all believe in me. You, you, you believe that I'm the Lord, but if you really believe, then do the things that I say. And so in Jewish thought, faith is not intellectual pursuit. Faith is obedience. Faith is an action. James said, I, I show my faith by the things that I do. And so this is the issue of our broken souls. If we want to enter life, we must do the commandments. And so for the Hebrew... Uh, doing the commandments was a life of harmony with God. It meant that a person was at one with God. And so how do I get back in right relationship? I follow the commandments. And so in the season of the high holy days of the Jewish people, Yom Kippur, we've just come through this wonderful time of the Day of Atonement. I'm praying for you today 
I'm praying for myself that I will be in right relationship. And if there's something in me that just smacks of disobedience, some willful way in my soul, well, what will happen was my, is my joy will not be complete with the Lord. Uh, I will not be at one with him. There's something off. I, I will not be in harmony with God. And remember on the, the Day of Atonement, the, the scapegoat, the priest would lay his hands upon that animal, and he would confess over it all the iniquities and the transgressions of Israel. But in Isaiah 53, speaking of the Messiah Jesus, I believe, it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in Hebrews 2.17, it speaks of Jesus, the faithful high priest, in the things pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. And so Jesus was that atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. He was just like the scapegoat. He was taken outside of the city wall where he shed his blood for you and for me. And so on the Day of Atonement, I pray that you will be at this moment at one with God. And so when you come to Jesus and you bow the knee, you can instantaneously become forgiven for whatever it is that you need to repent of between you and him. And if you come to that altar, according to Jesus, and you have aught with your brother or sister, and you're not in right relationship with someone, that, that you've done something that's ethical, unethical to someone in relationship, you've, you've hurt someone, you've harmed someone, you've, you've spoken words to someone that have, that have hurt them, before you come to him, go first to that person, and repent and say, you know something, I've, I've done something to hurt you. Please forgive me. You know, when I was a pastor, uh, there were often times that I would practice this. If, if I had said something, you know, to someone in the congregation, if, if I had said something to hurt someone, I would get up on a sunny morning and I'd say, you know, before I, I preach, I, and I wouldn't call out the person, but I would say, you know, there was something in me that, um, that was harmful, and I, I want to repent so that I might be in right relationship. I've, I've gone to my brother. I've asked forgiveness. And so I, I want to stay in harmony with God, and so to live that way, I've got to follow his commandments. I don't want to just call him Lord, Lord. I want to do the things he says. And remember, uh, the walk with Christ is not just belief. Belief in him is not going to bring me fullness of joy. Doing his commandments and believing is what will bring me fullness of joy. The two go hand in hand. In Ephesians 5, Paul talks about that the Lord wants a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, the church, should be holy and without blemish. And so Jesus, once for all, Uh, Our sacrifice by that one offering, he has perfected forever those that are being sanctified. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'd encourage you today to boldly enter the holiest of holies through the blood of Jesus and draw near to God with a heart full of faith and call upon his grace to help you in a time of need and follow his commandments so that you might have fullness of joy. God bless you during these high holy days. We'll see you next week.